Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. Today we're putting feats on pause because I need to talk about what you can do in combat for reasons. So the first thing I need to say is that you DMs need to set time limits for your players. It's very uncommon. People don't want to hear it, but here we are and we are talking about it. I absolutely think that it should be 60 seconds. It's a good amount of time to give the player their time to move in initiative order, which we'll talk about. Combats are cool, but you need to keep keep the table moving. Plus, you got to keep in mind, combat's fast, so it keeps the intensity of the moment going, especially if somebody's like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? You need to make a decision, and you should be ready for it. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this. Players, I need you all to know your characters, and if you're a caster... Of any type, please make a cheat sheet. Simple writing that you need for each spell name. If it's an attack or a DC that somebody needs, put it on there. Uh, If it's attack or DC, make sure it's on there. What kind it is. Um, How far the spell goes and what damage and healing it does, make it really easy to read. You don't need everything about the spell in your cheat sheet. You just need something that you can scan really fast and keep going. This is pre-combat, and even before anything happens, you absolutely should be reviewing your abilities and spells from time to time. It is what it is. We come to that moment. Most known throughout the D&Ds, throughout the ages, and most different tabletop RPGs, the roll for initiative. We're going to talk about this. Rolling for initiative in D&D is 1d20, add your dexterity modifier. If you want to make it real simple, even in the book, I think it says make a dexterity check. Real simple. Some subclasses have you add more to this, but that's dependent on your character. And again, something you should know. Remember, players, remember, the DM is already playing everything else. You need to know your character. Very simple. If there's a tie, the rules say that the DM decides the order, um, or if it's a t- uh, and that's in the rules talks about the DM making a decision if it's a tie between bad guys and the player, etc. The rules say that if the players tie, they decide. Others use highest dexterity. Uh, one of my favorite because of my competitive nature is the roll off. I personally though have come to love the uh, you act at the same time. This gives the party way more options if two characters are going at the same time for their economy and combat, which we're going to talk about today. If you want to watch Redigan's podcast stream from yesterday, you'll watch this particular table rule. Save one of the characters. Do whatever's more fun. Change it up if you need to to make it more fun. But the goal is to have fun at the table. Also give options. I like the option thing. When your turn comes... You get a move, an action, and a bonus action, and every round you also get a reaction. This is your entire economy in D&D. First, remember, a lot of what I'm talking about is rules as written, with a mix of some docs tricks that I'm going to throw in here, but all I'm going to say is, if you let the PCs do something, make sure that your creatures can do them as well. 
Unless it's a class feature, unless it's something that they do specifically. If you have a table rule, there should not be a table rule for your characters and then a table rule for your creatures. It doesn't make any sense. Make it fair. More because if it's not challenging, you're not going to have fun at the table. You can break up your movement. I don't know why I got to keep saying this. It's probably because there's a lot of games out there that you can't break up your movement, but you can break up your movement in D&D 5e. You can move, do something, and move again. I wouldn't limit this. Let the players have fun in the space. Allow your swashbuckler to dance around the enemy they're fighting. Use the rules, but let them have fun with it if it's not hurting or doing anything to the game. I want to talk about bonus actions first. Again, reasons from last night, but also because this always is a very confusing thing at most tables. Some classes, like the Rogue, have rules written into them to do extra things with their bonus action. This is for you to know, but I encourage you to ask a veteran player or DM what it is, what it actually lets you do. These are very important things to know. Know all your options. Do not think that the end of the list, just ask someone uh, if you could do something as a bonus action that's not in the rules and and let the DM make the call. It's their job to understand how that world works specifically. If it's not in the world specifically as a let it happen. Spells and abilities that can be used as a bonus action will say in the description as a bonus action. So be aware of that. You got to read your character. You got to know your abilities. You have to know what's happening. Bonus actions are on your turn. So if your turn's over, you can't take a bonus action. This is limiting, but I encourage you not to variant this. This is the economy in actions, and it, there's multiple reasons for this. Also know that a bonus action cannot be used as an action. You, you should not. You can. If it's more fun for your players, do it. But a bonus action is used as a bonus action. You get one. An action just as an action, you get one. In D&D 5e, there's no switching it around. There's no, how do you, there's no, I can't trade my movement for an action. I can't trade my action for a bonus action, etc. These are other game rules. Now, your DM might do it differently. And of course, the situation needs to be taken into account as well when you're thinking of these. Actions are things that you can do on your turn. You can take the attack action and, well, attack. Whether you fire a bow or swing a weapon, it's an attack action. Anything in your class that says when you take an attack action can follow this action. As an example, some classes say if you take the attack action, you can have another attack on your turn, two attacks. That's just using your action. You're not using your bonus action at that point. Some of them do say... If you take an attack, you can, as a bonus action, take a second attack. You have to read it. And again, players, please pay attention to these things. Your DM, again, is playing the rest of the world. And you're playing your character. If you have any questions about this stuff, please ask your teammates, your other players, veteran players at the table, or even your DM if they have a chance to talk about it. I, I love talking about it. I encourage it. Some say... In, in these abilities, like, when you take the attack action, you can make another attack. Two attacks, same weapon, that's what it means. When you use a bonus action, you're actually 
In, unless it says when you take an attack action, you can use your bonus action to make a second attack, that's the same weapon as well. The bonus action in D&D as written is you can fight with two weapons without any feats. You can have a light weapon in your offhand and you can attack with that weapon. It can be a bonus action. It is one of the things that's in there. These little things like that need to be understood because though you attack normally with that light weapon, you only get the damage dice and not the modifier with that damage. So know that if you take feats, they may allow you to have that. And that's why those feats exist. Your DM has their own discretion at the table. So don't say, I heard Doc say, and this is why you have to do it. Speaking of actions, not going back to bonus actions, you can cast a spell. Remember, you only have one action unless your class specifically says different. Again, read your abilities. Spells will tell you how long it takes, and the spell cast on this needs to say one action as it's casting. These are interesting little things. You, you have to use this to understand how these little things work, but you have to understand why the economy exists. It's a balancing act. Can I use the light weapon for both attacks and a bonus action? Do they need to be separate? Good question. The way the rules are written, your main hand is your attack action. Your bonus action is your off hand. So you, all your attacks are with your main weapon. You attack with your off hand as a bonus action without any feats, without any other abilities. So the question that was asked is, can you switch those around? You can't. You have to maintain them in the order that they're there. If you want to do with two light weapons, you can do with two light weapons... We can talk about that, but a lot of light weapons don't do the same damage that, say, like the difference between a short sword and a long sword. A long sword's 1d8, a short sword's 1d6, if I remember right. I wouldn't want to attack with the 1d6. There are options to this. Talk with your DM. I love limiting characters, but I also want you to be a functional character when you're making these decisions as well. So don't go too far in the other direction. Uh, but we're talking about spells right now. And like I said, spells that say one action to cast, you can cast. Easy enough. As a DM, you need to know what's going on and understand rule economy and stuff. Like I said, don't try to sway from it too much. I will probably end up table ruling this and saying that my players on red again, because there are three of them, and there is not a tank healer and three DPS, and it's not set up, and... I want to be a little bit more difficult with them in battles that if they want to uh, switch up, they'd probably be more than welcome to. So if they want to use a bonus action as an action and do two bonus actions, I might allow that. But you have to think about your table. If you have more than three players, please, I wouldn't do this. You're going to make it it's going to be a difficult table to keep moving because there's going to be more options. And I will tell you from experience, even veteran players, you give them too many options. They will spend more time staring at their sheet, wondering what they can do instead of just doing something. If you're trying to keep it more realistic as well too, rules as written does keep it a little bit more realistic. So one action, one bonus action, one movement, and every turn you get one uh, reaction. There's other things you can do as your action, though. That's just spells and attacking. As an action, you can dash. 
or move twice your speed. This takes up the action for most classes. Exceptions are written in the abilities. I know, I know, I know. I see you in the background, Rogue. Sit down. You can also, as an action, disengage. In the rules, your movement will not allow enemies to attack you if you're disengaged. You can disengage and move and not get any attacks of opportunities. This gets confused for some people, and it's not that people are doing it wrong, but most tabletop RPGs have what's called attack of opportunities or an attack that can be made as a reaction, taking up that reaction, and it only allows one attack. It's not an attack action giving you that second attack. Don't try to stack that. Don't get crazy now. Most tabletop RPGs from that reaction will only allow you to disengage from one enemy, but not all. Some of them actually have other roles. This is where people get confused. In D&D, rules is written, if I disengage, nobody on the battlefield can take an attack of opportunity in my movement that turn. Like it or hate it, there's reasons for it, and I, I don't dislike it, I'll be honest. You can take the dodge action as an action. I've done this to control a fight. With Nerdworks at my table, my character took a dodge action to keep part of the fight busy with me, blocking the way, while the rest of the party dealt with something else. You have to think that the battle is a battle as a whole. It's not just your character in that battle. It's everybody's character in that battle, and at first, it's going to be sloppy, but that makes sense because y'all, unless you met in a tavern trying to find work together, you pretty much just met. On the opposite end, you can take a help action. Now, this you can do two things with. One, you can use the help action to give an advantage on an ability check to another player, or you can allow the help action to give them advantage on their attack. Advantage is 2d20, take the highest. Only one of these can happen. So if you choose to help another player get advantage because they hit harder or do more damage, that's fine. It's very relevant. But if they choose to do something else, they're not going to get the advantage where they need the ability check. Don't worry about the gamble of it. Have fun and do what your character would do in the minute. Most cool things are a gamble. And some of the funny things are the things that don't work out. Another thing you can do is you can search. Yes, I said you can search as an action during combat. It's in the player's handbook. I like to use this as you drop your weapon and need to pick it up. Most DMs will hand wave. You dropped your weapon. You know where it is. You can reach down and pick it up as as an action, a free action, a bonus action, whatever they want to rule. However, if you're going to play that at my table and you want that to be the way, I'm fine with it. But if you have to look away from that enemy, I'm going to say that he has a chance to react and do an attack of opportunity because you're not watching him. Some people do it as you keep your eyes on an enemy and you can use a variant rule, which is a 25% check to reach down and grab your weapon. When we say that, it means you roll a D100, 1 to 25, you find the weapon and pick it up, everything else. You could probably find it and pick it up, but you're not going to be ready to use it. These are little things, again, have some fun with it. If your table is tough, and again, Redigan podcast is tough. I'm, I'm not going easy on my cast just because we're telling a story. 
So in the particular thing where I'm talking about, I'm not going to make them search for a dropped weapon if a weapon gets dropped. Because I want the battle to be fair, and I also want to be able to be a little bit more difficult with monsters and put a plethora more difficulty things that they maybe have never seen in there. You have to weigh the possibilities of what's going on. But yes, you can search. And it says search. It doesn't specifically say what you have to search. So if your party is fighting and you want to find a specific book in the bookcase, you could search the bookcase as your action. There is nothing that says you can't do that. You can use an object. It is what it sounds like. It's use an object. But I want to be more specific. You can, again, DMs make table rules, parties discuss. But if you want to make it more realistic, if you want to drink a health potion during battle, that's your action. You used up your action in the economy. Unless you're a rogue, I got it. Sit down, rogues. I got it. You're cool. You can do everything as a bonus action. Some of these are even a little deeper. Like, let's talk about making an attack. You can make a melee attack. And you can try to hit an invisible creature at disadvantage. This is rolling 2d20 and taking the lowest. You can grapple. And this one is the same across tabletop RPGs, but let's talk about D&D. As an action, you could try to grapple a creature. The grappler, the person attempting the grapple, whether it's a creature or one of the PCs, it's always an athletics check. It's not uh, an uh, um, acrobatics. Some DMs will play it differently. But the reach out, grab somebody, and hold them is an action that falls under, in the rules, athletics check. The creature being grappled can try not to be grappled by either an athletics or acrobatics check. They can try to escape because you're still the grappler, you need to roll an athletics check to keep them there. And the person escaping still gets their choice of athletics or acrobatics. You can move a creature that you have grappled, but you're doing it at half your speed. But sometimes this works out when you think about it to get that creature back in a better position. I will say that to grapple a creature... They can be no bigger than one size bigger than your size. Most creatures or most PCs are playing a medium creature, which means I can attempt to grapple something of large, but I can't do anything bigger than large. And, and there are different selections. Here's where most people miss out. Grappling's actually considered an attack action. So if you have multiple attacks... You can use one of them to grapple. Just keep it in mind, you can use that a million different ways, that you have that ability, and I want you to remember that you have that ability. You can shove a creature. You can either push them away, which is what we all think about, but again, you can knock a creature prone. Hear me out. This isn't used enough. You can't do it anything bigger than one size larger than you. you. Use the same checks that you do in grappling. I'm going to use an athletic. Whatever I'm doing it against is going to use an athletic or um, acrobatics to get out of my way. And you either push the creature five feet away from you. If it puts them in a better position, that's great. Pushes them off a cliff, that's even better. 
or you'd knock them prone. Do I want them to fall off the cliff and possibly survive, or do I want to give everybody swinging a weapon at this guy advantage? I'm going to be a disadvantage for my ranged people, but these are things that you have to weigh in this. One more thing about actions. People don't know this, but you can knock a creature out if you're fighting an enemy. This can be only done with if you're using a melee weapon, and it can only be done with a melee attack. Ranged weapons and spells are lethal, period. But, as the rules are written, if you're melee, you hit a creature, and that hit drops that creature to zero, you can choose at that moment to have that creature fall unconscious and be stable, not dying, instead of killing it. If you need more information, you want to keep the creature or the NPC or whatever it is you're fighting alive for whatever reason, this is the way to do it. And I emphasize, you cannot do this as a spellcaster or a ranged attacker. The key p- point here is you really need to know what your character can do. Some examples. We were talking about rogues. And, and I saw the comment, Joyce, lucky rogues. Yes, a rogue can use a cunning action and do disengage, dash, or hide as a bonus action, which to everybody else is a full round action. Yes, you can hide, by the way. You can rogue yourself out in D&D. I had to go back. I don't remember if I talked about that, but you can. And if you hide and you attack on the next round, you get advantage just like a rogue because the rules don't say if a rogue hides, they get advantage. The rules say if you hide from a creature, you get advantage. But knowing what your character can do is huge. Smite with paladins. A paladin can burn a spell slot to add... I think it's 2d8 or 3d8 against undead or fiends or something like that in the rules. I'm sorry I didn't look it up. When they make an attack. But here's the cool thing about smite. When you attack, then you choose to use smite. So if you don't hit, you don't burn your spell slot. You do not have to hold that. Little, little dinky, amazing things you can do. I missed readying an action. You can ready an action on your turn. Be careful, because to ready an action, you need to say what a trigger would be. So, as an example, if I want to, if I'm swinging a sword, I can hold my action until something gets in range of me, and then I'll attack. By holding that action, it doesn't change my initiative order, or what order I am from my initial roll, but it allows me to put that action to use if... I can't get to the creature, but I can get close. Whatever that event is that triggers the attack, the attack has to be satisfied first before whatever else the creature is doing. In my example, I readied an action to hit a creature that walked into my space. That creature then walks into my space to bite me. I get to resolve my attack first. And hopefully we've done enough damage where it doesn't get to bite me, but... Neither here nor there. Spells are a little bit more tricky. You can ready a spell. By readying a spell, you're going to use the spell slot. So whether the trigger happens or not, you're going to use that spell slot. So whether the spell goes off or not is inconsequential. You're going to lose a spell slot by doing this. Another thing to keep in mind is to ready a spell is a concentration. 
So any other spells that you have up that are concentration will go away because you can't concentrate on two spells at the same time. It's one of those, again, gambles. But remember, cool things are a gamble sometimes. Hold it for another turn. So I can only hold an action until my turn. Once my turn happens, if the trigger doesn't happen, I lost it. I can choose to hold another spell, but by the time my turn comes around, if I don't use it, it's lost. These are rules as written. I want to be clear as I'm, I'm digging through this and looking around because I know I missed a couple. Because I excited about this. I like combats. At times, it's good to take risks. Joyce, every time it's good to take risks. Every time. I, I will tell you this. I understand that we're all invested in the characters. Me, as a DM, I am invested in my players' characters. If you don't believe me, ask my players how much time I spend helping them build their characters so that they're immersed into my world. But their characters. If something bad happens to my character, I lose. I don't even lose because it's part of a story. And that story will go on as long as the DM's a good DM. But it just gives me an opportunity to try something else. You need to know your character. I want to come back to that. You need to read your abilities. Starting at level one is really good for this. And you're absolutely right. You make a memory no matter what happens. But I also am believe that I want your character to have a reason to be in the world. There's no reason to have this character that like has a disassociation to the world. I don't I don't understand all the time what people are thinking when they build their character sometimes. I want as you've seen, as we build the character through the doc talks, you notice that I talk a lot about the role playing because I want my character to be part of the world. Things happen, I want to talk it out. And though to me that's the most important, I can't forget what I can do in, in combat. And I'm also not a DM that just throws rules out the window for no reason. In D&D, there's no facing. It means that you're not a character's not looking one way or a creature's not looking one way or another. In the DMG, it talks about a variant facing rule, which if you watch Critical Role, you've seen, and if you watch Red Again, you'll see as well. And the variant rule is if a creature is flanked, it gives advantage to the flanking creatures. And this is straight across. When you go to move, just ask your DM where you need to be if your DM is using this variant rule. The reason I'm allowing it in the Red Again podcast and I think it's important to have it there, is, again, I want this to be difficult, but I have three players, and I have a variant rule that will help them out. On the flip side, a little Xandro in me there, on the other side of this, my creatures get flanking as well. The entire world has this. It also allows your players to think a little bit more about tactics, they have to use the battlefield to their advantage. And this brings me to something that's kind of important because I play at a lot of different tables. And though there's a lot of play styles, one that has to be avoided is the person that's not quite there at the table. And what I mean by that is if they're scrolling through Facebook while things are happening, even in combat, they're not paying attention, they won't notice. 
I'm also very much against side talk, like my character's thinking, so you should do, you have this. If you can't put it into something in the game, then you shouldn't be saying it. And so I don't want to spend time catching that person up to the events that are happening at that moment. Whatever you do, please pay attention at your table. And if you're playing a home game around a real table, I suggest everybody puts their phones down that you collect the phones unless somebody has to have it on for emergencies, but make sure that they're like, check, put it down, or check, I got to go. These are fine. But if you find people are looking at game scores or other stuff like that, they're not going to be paying attention to what's going on around them. And you may miss something. I, as a DM, give subtle hints, and it may be for one character while I'm talking to another, but they're only going to pick that up if they're paying attention. Just because other things are going on for other characters, even in a battle, it's somebody else's turn. It's the wizard's turn, and he's going to take all 60 seconds because he's going to look through all 94 of the spells that he has. You should really be paying attention to what's going on. Look at the board. Think about what you're going to do next. Know your own spells, your own movements, your own abilities. And dig deep. Look through items that you have on you that you may have forgot about, especially as as sessions go on. A lot of games I can think of, times were saved in battles because somebody used something that they had on them that they absolutely forgot they had on them. I also encourage you to use every ability that you have. Don't shortchange yourself. It's not your DM's job to remember your character. I want to help my players with their character, but I can't remember every spell in all the DMD books because there's a lot of them now. I can't remember every ability that every subclass has. And it's going to allow you to know that character's abilities... And a lot of paladin stuff gets shared throughout paladin. Clerics have reasonably same things. But I can't tell you how many times I was sitting at a table and was like, what is your channel divinity? And they're like, oh, I turn undead. No, no, no. We're level seven now. What's your other channel divinity? I got another one. Every cleric has a second channel divinity. What is it? I just want to know what it is. Could it help us in this situation? By knowing your character, and I'm not telling you that you have to live, like you have to wake up every morning like you're learning to play the piano and put two hours of time in reading your D&D character and going through things. You don't. I'm just asking you to pick it up once in a while and read through it, especially right before a session. Know those abilities and what they do. And if you have questions about abilities being used outside of how the book says they could be used, but in your head makes make sense that it could be used that way, talk to your DM. These are great ideas for that. I think I hit on a lot of this, but there's a lot that you could do during combat. And most of it should be used in strategy to the combat. If you have a big group, at one point I played with nine people at a table, and there's you're just bored, your character's bored and was more worried about the books on the table than the battle that's going on, and you're like annihilating creatures... Have some fun and search for something. It's funny. If there's three people at your table, pay attention to the battle that's going on. Worry about what could be in the shadows is another tip I can give you, but don't concentrate on that, especially if there's a live creature around one of your other players. 
the immediate threat needs to be taken care of. So make sure that your economy between actions, bonus actions, and reactions are used to taking that beast down. A lot of good battles that I've been in in D&D, everybody was at like 10 health points or less. We all thought it was our last time. Some of us went down, but in the end we won, and it was a great time. Pay attention to the situation where things are going to be just, you're going to have a bad day (laughs) if you're not. Again, the key point here is know your own character. As a DM, I want to know a lot of things. I want to know the rules. I personally am at a disadvantage because I don't just play D&D. I love so many other games, and I love other game systems. I'm going to get really confused if I have to remember your specific subclass, class, and everything of your character, as well as everything that else I've got going on. If you ever want to ask questions about your character and you're not in any of my games... I will try to give you rules as written stuff or things that you can ask your DM. You can join the my Discord, Doc and Friends. You can jo- join the Folly Form Discord. There's a ton of us in there that play a lot of D&D and would love to answer your questions. I will try and answer what I can and go over your build if you want me to. Or you can ask questions or I'll ask you questions to help understand your character, what you're going for better. I'm not a min-maxer. I don't build my character to be the most efficient, but I also never build a character to be inefficient, especially if I have a smaller group of three or four. And believe it or not, even though it says like four in the CRs, and I learned today that there's actually like, you can put it into a simulator and see what happens if it's too hard for your characters. I'm laughing because I've never done that. I find out if things are too hard by my characters by poking my creatures, Yeah, go fight them, see what happens. There's no bad characters, so do not openly berate somebody at your table or make fun of them without consent, especially in a big group. Friends are different, close friends, especially my friends know that we're going to berate each other. I'm not just make fun of you. This is not a one-way street. When I do something stupid, if I start laughing at myself, I know it's coming. But sometimes builds are on purpose. People do things on purpose. Don't ask a war cleric why they don't have... Cure wounds because they took something else because they're a war cleric that day. Don't berate somebody for how they build and don't play anybody else's character. You can help them if they ask. Absolutely be that table that supports each other. But when it's not your turn, even though you're like, oh, if you do blah, 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 we could win. I encourage you not to do that. Just concentrate on what your character is going to do. Me as a DM... And most DMs I know will be like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Which is just code for, I think you have something else, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Take the helpful advice when the DM is trying to help you. I did see last night at one point an NPC asked, do you really want to do that? You can. I'm not going to stop you, but I don't advise it. And I love the comments, which are like, ooh, that could go both ways. Yeah, it could. It really could. It was one of those things. But it's because I know what's going on in that room. But I'm not going to dissuade you from being curious either. And I don't know how you're playing your character, so I'm not going to tell you what to do. Sometimes the builds are on purpose. Just because you min-max your character doesn't mean everybody else needs to min-max their character. Let people play what they want to play and be happy playing what they want to play. DMs, pay attention to your table. 
so that you don't make stuff too difficult because you're concentrating on the one guy who's min-maxing when the other four are building fun characters that weren't min-maxed, just pay attention to what's going on at your table. Be prepared for your turn. Pay attention to the table. Know your character's abilities. Even if you think the story has nothing to do with you, trust me, it does. It always does. Please love one another. As always, keep it nerdy. Live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production. Come and join twitch.tv forward slash NerdWorks Media. N-E-R-D-W-U-R-K-S-M-E-D-I-A. On Twitch, watch Red again every Monday at 6. Watch this show every Tuesday at 3.15 p.m., all times Pacific. We hope to see you there. Love you.